Well, good morning. It's great to see you. We, uh, today we stand on the threshold of a new year. I am sure as I've got older, somebody's taking the days out of the year because the year seems to get shorter and shorter. Have you found that, those of you who are old? It's getting shorter, I'm sure. We're missing some days. But tonight we say goodbye to 2023 and tomorrow hello to 2024. Each year brings its trials, its challenges, its opportunities and its joys. And as we face each year, it's like facing a new adventure in our life. We all of us have going through different experiences. It's a rich tapestry of life as we go through the different experiences that life brings to us. But in that, in that weaving of the tapestry of life, as Christians, we can know God is sovereign and he is leading us through it. None of us know what 2024 will bring. And right now, or maybe sometime during the year, you might find the way ahead seem almost impossible. Perhaps over this last year, some of you have found it seemed impossible. And I saw this illustration and I thought it was wonderful, very encouraging. A little boy and his mother were crossing the river. And the mother says to the little boy, would you hold my hand? And the boy says, no. He looks to his mother and says, but mother, will you hold my hand? She said, why? Well, mum, if I hold your hand, I could let go if it gets difficult. But if you hold my hand, you'll not let go. And isn't that a wonderful illustration of how God holds on to us? No matter what we go through, we may think that we would let go, but God will never let go of us. A wonderful illustration of the confidence that we can have as we enter into a new year. That if we might be tempted to let go of Christ, he will never let go of us. So this next year, we enter into it not knowing what's in store. But we can be confident that our sovereign saviour king is holding on to us. And the promises that we've been singing about, the promises of God, the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And this morning this scripture has been laid on my heart as I thought about the new year, what to speak about in the new year, for the new year as we look forward. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 exhorts us by his own example to press on as followers of Christ with joy. So would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? I'm going to read from verse 7. We're going to focus in on 12 to 16, but verse 7 through to 12 will give us a context. But whatever gain I had counted, I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He goes on to say, not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If anything, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have gained. Here was the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Philippians. It's a letter laced and fueled with joy. But at the time of his writing, he was in, under house arrest in Rome. He wasn't free. And right in the middle of this letter, Paul makes this amazing and pro provoking declaration of his life's desire. If we look back to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Kent Hughes writes, There is nothing in Scripture quite like this explosion of spiritual longings. And Paul's passionate longing is meant to serve and is an example for all Christians. We are called to make his passion for Christ our own. Do we ask for this? Will we pray for it? That remains the great question for every Christian. And then Paul, at the end of this portion of Scripture, he writes this, he says, he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you think, you think otherwise. God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. So this morning I want us to focus on, as Paul says, for those who are mature, think this way. So I want us to look at what biblical maturity looks like. And stir our hearts up for fresh desire to grow in biblical maturity. And Paul here says it starts with our thinking. And I'm assuming this morning that all those who are Christians will want to mature and grow in biblical maturity. So I have just simply three points this morning. First of all, biblical maturity humbly acknowledges the need for growth. Biblical, secondly, biblical maturity involves passionately pursuing Christ. And third, biblical maturity involves faithfully holding on to the gospel. First of all, biblical maturity humbly acknowledges a need for growth. Paul, in verses 8 to 11, sets out his goal. And his goal, we read in 8 and 10, and then in verses 12 to 13, to know Christ, to know him. 
That was his goal. May I know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul's desire was to know Christ. But in verses 12 to 13, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul recognises that though he has this great desire, he has not attained it yet. He has not reached that point yet. The pastoral heart of Paul is seen, although he has expressed this desire, this goal, which as Kent Hughes says is an explosion of spiritual longing, he also recognises that he hasn't achieved that. I believe Paul in his pastoral heart is wanting to help us and help us this morning that as we read these things and we read his desire and encouraged and exalted towards it, he doesn't want us to get depressed as his readers. He said, I haven't reached it. I haven't obtained to it. He has set out his spiritual longing and he wants his longing to be our longing, but he doesn't want us to become depressed when we think about our growth in Christ, where we are in Christ. He clearly states he hasn't arrived, nor have we. And Paul says maturity is thinking this way, recognising that wherever we are in our walk with God, we need to recognise our need for growth. And Paul sets a wonderful example for us all. He provokes us, yet he is honest and realistic. And in humility says, even though he is pressing on, he hasn't attained his goal. We could so often look at Christian leadership and think that they should all be sinless and they will reach their goal. But as someone once said, Christian leadership is about leading the charge to the cross through repentance and faith. Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Joy of Fearing God, writes at the beginning of the book these words. I don't want to be a hypocrite, so let me say right up front that I don't live up to the standard of truth presented in this book. I want to, and I seek to, but I'm not there yet, nor will I ever be completely in this life. So as you read this book, think of me as a fellow pilgrim walking alongside you, I'm not at the top of the peak calling you to climb up where I am. Rather, I'm standing with you as we both look to the summit of this great mountain called the fear of God. Jerry Bridges is a man who, I don't know whether you've read his stuff, but has taught me more about the grace of God than any other man. And so it's no surprise to me that in his humility and vulnerability, he acknowledges the need for growth. As leaders, we stand and we preach these things and we share these things, but not for you to think that we've attained it. I want to say like Paul, not that I have attained, not that we have attained. J.C. Ryle says, the best of men are men at best. We live as Christians between the already and the not yet. The place where we have become Christians, we're saved, we've been clothed with the righteousness of God, that's already taken place, but also there's a not yet. 
Is it not yet to come that when we meet with Jesus in glory, we'll be like him? We will be like Christ. We have been saved. We're being saved. And our ultimate salvation is kept in heaven, protected by God. So we need to, Paul says, think this way. Think this way. Think you need to grow. The reality is the more we grow spiritually in our knowing and pursuing of Christ, the more we will realize our need for growth. Paul says mature Christians should think this way. And secondly, biblical maturity involves passionately pursuing Christ. In verse 13, 14, Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. We may think Paul is... Paul in this verse is just trying to forget the bad things that have happened. Trying to forget the shipwrecks, forget the beatings, forget the imprisonment, and forget what lies behind that have taken place, that have not been very pleasant. But Paul, the great theologian of the church, the greatest missionary to the Gentiles, says, I forget what lies behind. I forget my achievements and my successes. I'm not resting on what I've done in the past, but I press on. I'm straining forward to what lies behind. He wasn't just thinking about the bad things. He was also thinking, I don't want to be consumed and reaching back all the time toward the past. Even the good things, even the things that have really been wonderful. And that's so easy for us to do, isn't it? Especially as you get older like me, you can harp back to the past. He's often correcting me, uh, going back to the past. But Paul didn't do that. And this is a wonderful picture of an absolute focus intensity. And it's a picture that Peter O'Brien in his commentary observes of a runner with eyes fixed on the goal, his body bending forward, straining to break the tape. Now, some of you will have heard of an athlete called Roger Bannister. Uh, those who are a bit older will remember him. He was the first man to uh, run the mile in under four minutes. And in 1954, during the British Empire Games in Vancouver, British Empire Games is kind of Commonwealth Games today, um, he, he was to compete against the only other man who had broken this barrier, an Australian called John Landy. And this race was advertised as the Miracle Mile. Bannister had worked out his strategy before the race that he would relax during the third lap and save everything for the finish. But as they entered the third lap, Landy had started to pull away. So Bannister adjusted his strategy, increased his pace and started to gain on Landy. And as they got to the bell, the bell, if they're not an athletic fan a bell means the last lap okay the last 400 well 400 yards then or 440 yards meters now uh, as they got to the bell they were neck and neck and Bannister thought he might lose if if Landy did not slow down however as they were nearing the end the crowd were going wild this was the finest mile that they'd ever seen ever seen run and they were going wild and there was so much noise that Landy, who was ahead, couldn't hear where Bannister was. 
Up to this time, he could hear. He, he, he sensed where he was. And he made the mistake of he turned around, couldn't hear his foot, footfall. And he looked back, and it was a catastrophic error. There was a fatal lapse in concentration and allowed Bannister to go on and win by five yards. See, he was in the lead. He was going to win. But he looked back. He looked back. To be a successful runner, you don't look back over your shoulder. I notice nowadays they can have it on the big screen in front, so they look up. They don't need to look over their shoulder to see who's behind. The athlete must forget what's behind. And Paul did not become complacent about the past. He was not looking back over his shoulder at his past achievements and his failures. But he was pressing forward, straining to what lies ahead. He had one goal. And he was determined not to allow anything to hold him back or slow him down. As we run our race, we need to be careful that we don't become consumed by our past. Our past successes or our past failures. Or allow our history to distract from the one thing, the prize that Paul sought. The one thing that motivated Paul was knowing Christ. The upward call of God found in Christ Jesus. His eyes, his passion, his goal was, in t- was on Christ and eternity. And the question this raises for us all this morning, all of us who are trusting in Jesus, do we have a passion like Paul's? Do we have a passion for Jesus like he had? Are our affections for Christ growing or diminishing? What dominates our lives? What fills our lives? Now, when you read something like this and you read Paul as an example, it's so easy to become convicted. I know as I was preparing it, you, 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 you kind of look at your own life and you feel a conviction. But if God is bringing conviction to us this morning, it is because he loves you. If God is causing this scripture to bring a conviction about where you are and your passion for Christ, it's because he loves you. The Holy Spirit brings conviction for change, not for condemnation. He doesn't bring us conviction to put us down, but he brings it in love to stir us, stir us in our affections and our love for God. You may be like me as I looked into Paul's example, feel there are areas of your life that over this year you would like to change you would like to grow in areas of change that would increase your passion for Jesus not just talking about the things that we do but your passion and love for Christ Paul speaks of one thing so I want us to encourage us if there's one thing just look to one thing over this coming week this coming month this coming year Or if you desire to grow in your passion for Christ, what is one thing you could do? What is one thing you could put into your life that will increase your passion for Jesus? That's the thing that motivated Paul. See, Paul didn't say he was motivated by a list of, I want to be better in this and better in that and better in the other. That wasn't where he was going. He wanted his thinking to remain passionate for Jesus. Perhaps it's, perhaps 
spending more time in prayer. Perhaps it's reading books. You know, sometimes we read books and we could as Christians, and they're good books, to read good books of how we can change and how we can grow, how we can be better husbands, better parents, better children, better friends, better members of the church. And sometimes that can put a lot of pressure on us, whereas I would encourage you, read books about Jesus. Read books about what Christ has done. If you look at Paul's method, methodology, he always tells in his letters what Christ has done before he ever gets to now change. In Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, he's telling us what Christ has done and then he says, now live a life worthy. Paul was concerned that we could become motivated out of a love and desire for Christ. So read books, read, read scriptures that will encourage you in that way. Decide to spend time reading those sort of scriptures, those sort of books that will encourage you in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you. Paul says those who are mature think this way. And then finally, biblical maturity involves faithfully holding on to the gospel. Paul says to hold on to what we have received in Christ. Verse 12. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus has made us his own. The very heart of the gospel is that he has made us his own. We have been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. We're his. And that was central to Paul's thinking. He's been bought with a price. The gospel was central to him. The gospel was so important to him. Paul's spiritual longing was created by God in being chosen by Christ and was sustained by God. And Paul was a man overwhelmed by God's grace. The gospel was front and center. Wherever you read Paul's writings, the gospel was front and center in his life. If you listen to Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, this is, this is what Paul says about the situation in the church there in Galatia, about the gospel. He expresses his concern for the gospel. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are t- turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, even we or an angel from heaven should preach to, to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Strong language. But Paul was concerned for the gospel. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul was concerned about the gospel. When writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, in 1 Timothy 4.16, he writes to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The gospel is coming under attack. Sinclair Ferguson says, the greatest threat to Christianity in this century is the Christianity of this century. 
It is a far greater threat than Islam, which can never destroy the gospel. Christendom, however, can easily destroy the gospel and is destroying the gospel. The church today is the greatest threat to real Christianity in the world. John Stott says all around us we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it and in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. It's important for us that we hold faithfully to the gospel. We hold on to the gospel. This erosion of where the gospel is happening through an incremental erosion. I think one said, you know, the, the greatest danger to us as Christians is not that that is really wrong, but that is nearly right. There's an erosion taking place, an incremental erosion of the gospel. The compromise that some churches are making in their preaching to attract unbelievers, that is becoming a problem. When your goal is just to see how many people we can get in here, there's a great danger that we can erode the gospel, compromise the gospel, perhaps make the gospel ambiguous in our teaching. And we who desire to be mature will think like Paul, holding faithfully to the gospel, to live with a mindset that is Christ who has made us his own. You notice that Paul, in this one thing, is not giving us a task to fulfill. He's not primarily concerned about what we do, but instead his focus is on what we think, what we desire. What we think, what is our desire. Those of us, those who are mature, do not allow either the successes of the past or the failures of the past to hold them back from straining to what lies ahead. Paul's desire was that they would continue, and his desire is that we would continue what we have learned and to grow in our passion to know Christ. So as we enter into this new year, let's make this coming a year where we're not preoccupied with the past, whether it be good or bad, but being a people who are straining forward to what lies ahead, straining towards knowing Christ more. To be like Paul, pressing on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To those mature Christians, we'll think this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning that you have put a desire for Christ in all of our hearts. But Lord, may it be our prayer this morning that that desire will grow. That over this coming year, as we look back, if you should tarry, if we look back at a year's time, would we say our love for Jesus, our treasuring of Christ, is more than it was at the beginning of the year. Lord, I pray that we will become mature, mature Christians growing, recognizing we always need to grow. We have not arrived. But Lord, let us be a people passionate for Jesus, passionate for his word, passionate for his life dwelling within us. 
And Father, help us by your grace to be a people faithfully holding on to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.